Welcome to it, my friends. This is episode 84 and part two of a rather epic conversation between me, Ted Asregadu, and Popdos writer and regular contributor to the Planet LP podcast, Keith Creighton. In the last episode, we realized about three quarters of the way through our recording that we weren't going to be able to spotlight the albums that were on our list, at least all of them. So instead of doing a kind of lightning round where each album got a brief mention, we decided to break the new music report into two parts. That conversation is coming up in just a few. If you're a music artist or an author who writes about music, you can connect with me by emailing me at ted at planetlp.com. Social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and X, just look for Planet LP. And if you can do us a favor and tell your friends, family members, coworkers, and acquaintances who are music fans about the Planet LP podcast and why they should listen, we'd be ever so grateful to you for helping spread the word about this podcast. Tell them they can find Planet LP on all the major podcasting apps and at planetlp.com. Let's get back into the groove with part two of the Pop Dose New Music Report. Well, this is part two, as I said at the outset, of the new music report for September. It got so big, we had to do two episodes of it, Keith. My God, do we like to talk or what? Yeah, well, so many of these records are worth celebrating that I'm like, oh my gosh, as we were getting long in the tooth on the first episode, yeah. I'm like, I would hate to cram these into a quick hit section because I think our audience is going to really, really like the records we're about to talk about. As they say, saving the best for last. Well, here saving, we go. We got some really yes, good ones. We do. And before we get started, and because we were talking about Rolling Stone in the previous episode, you and I still actually subscribe to Rolling Stone and we get the physical copy, the yeah. actual magazine. And the last few editions have had people on the cover of Rolling Stone. We noted that Olivia Rodrigo is on the uh, cover of Rolling Stone, at least an upcoming issue as we're recording this. Yeah. But some of the past folks that have been, that have graced the cover, Carol G., Janelle Monet, I know who she is. Yeah, we know and her. Bunny, I love her. And Bad Bunny, I know who he is. We were talking about how I suppose a bit alienated how we feel when we leap through the magazine and we're reading some of the articles about some of these artists. And we're like, who are these people? How are they so popular? And we don't even know about them and, and unless we're reading about them in the in Rolling Stone or somehow stumble upon them on the internet. But yes, this is a good example of the way in which the music landscape has fractured in such a way that when a magazine that's trying to be all things to all people sometimes, like a Rolling Stone, and it's iconic too, if you get on the cover of this magazine, it doesn't matter who, what artist mm. it is, it signals you've made it. You know, yes, your Dr. Hook said kid. back in the day, going to get my picture on the cover of the Rolling Stone. <laughs> exactly. When you grace the cover of this magazine to this day, it means you're a big deal. I take it seriously, just like you do. So if I see a cover with uh, Carol G, I don't know who Carol G is. I will read the cover story. I will want, I yeah. want to find out who this person is. But I feel like sometimes when I look at the album reviews, like they've stopped with the star system. They don't put yeah. three stars, two stars, or anything like that. It's sort of like instant classic or you got to hear this. 
And that just speaks to where music criticism is right now. Yeah, I subscribed to Rolling Stone in the early 80s and stayed with it until about 10 years ago when I just gave up, especially Mm -hmm. when Rolling Stone is like, oh, yeah, you want another year? It's going to cost you a hundred and bucks or a hundred and twenty bucks. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) And so I, you know, they did a a special last year that we both fell for, you know, 29 bucks for the year. I'm like, okay, I'm going to check it out again. And whenever I get Rolling Stone, the first thing I do is flip to the record reviews. I always Mm -hmm. start there and then work my way back through the issue. The American version doesn't speak to me. It's the same thing where I don't know any of the artists. And it's kind of like Rolling Stone on one end of the spectrum in terms of really huge major label supported records get the majority of the press. Because as Jan Wenner said, and you, you mentioned this before, if the record is selling like Hootie and the Blowfish, he's going to get behind it, you know? So yeah, Rolling Stone's yeah. going where the money is. Mm-hmm. And then Pitchfork, on the other hand, like I just read their, you know, top 50 records of the year and the 40 albums they're looking forward to this fall. And I didn't know 99% of those bands. It's one of those things where I'm like, wow, you know, so either something so underground that I've never heard of it, or they're so overground in terms of the major label support. I'm kind of flying in the between because a lot of these bands that we're going to talk about have name recognition, Mm -hmm. you know, but they're not making the cover unless in the States, because I look at, I really need to figure out how to subscribe to the UK version of Rolling Stone, which completely speaks to me. You know, Hmm. I I know all the bands, you know, and I'm like, okay, maybe that's just because I'm a child. I, I grew up loving English invasion bands. And so Maybe I'm in the wrong country. You know, I need to, you, <laughs> you know. find yourself reading the New Music Express, uh, yeah. NME, a lot. Yeah, NME, yeah. Melody Maker. There was a there was a magazine back in the day called Number One. There's all these like new wave hits back when we actually had newsstands where you can go and there'd be like three dozen music magazines to pick from. Mm-hmm. A lot of the ones that I was drawn to were the imports from England, and so that formed a lot of my musical taste. And that's actually a good segue, I think, for the first band we're going to talk about in a bit, which is The Coral. Yeah, it's got a long title. Yeah, well, so the thing is, The Coral has been around since their debut album, which to me is still one of my top 10 albums of all time. It was self-titled. It came out probably, shit, a decade ago or so, and wow. or maybe even 20 years ago. It was produced by Ian Brody, who is the light, you know, goes under the band The Lightning Seeds. This band... At They recorded it when they were in their 20s. Imagine Jim Morrison of The Doors kind of fronting ELO. You know, it had all (laughs) these wild, I mean, every single song had pivots, turns, surprises, deep, heavy organs, great guitars, but then 60s soul choruses. It was to me, and it still remains, one of the most exciting sonic experiences of the past 30 or 40 years. I've been a diehard buying every choral record since, and some are good, some are, you know, eh, just they play it too safe. The debut album was so fearless in its sonic inventiveness that when they do play it safe with just some basic balladry, I kind of feel underwhelmed. But man, they are back in a big way with two new albums. One is called Sea of Mirrors, and the other one is called Holy Joe's Coral Island Medicine Show. And they... <laughs> what a name, huh? Yeah, so they, they're they they're finding their just unfiltered, unbridled creativity again. Sea of Mirrors is a soundtrack album to a fictional spaghetti western. 
complete with when you buy the CD, there's a full panel of the liner that is like a written diary entry from like Robert Evans. Remember the documentary, The Kid Stays in the Picture? Yes. You know, where you got this grizzled Hollywood director, producer narrating the story. And so it's narrating the story of showing up on set of the spaghetti Western. And it is, so it sets the stage for the songs. The songs are gorgeous. So if you like spaghetti Western music, the choral kind of sells in like British folk music, you know, Mm -hmm. with a little bit of Brit pop, a little bit indie thrown in. And so when they kind of throw their weight around, like let's create the kind of music that would soundtrack a spaghetti Western. Oh my God. It's just, there's so much texture and harmony and, you know, creativity throughout the record. And then Zeitgeist star, you know, Killian Murphy of Oppenheimer fame, he actually does some narration in the closing track. <laughs> really creative project. I mean, it's yeah. very, uh, yeah. It's so very the thing is, if you actually go on their site, there actually is several versions of the album that are available. I got the traditional one. I didn't know at the time there was a deluxe version, which is already sold out, but it's available digitally. So I picked it up as well. The deluxe version of the proper album, Sea of Mirrors, includes Skiffle Sessions versions of four songs including a cover of The Doors, People Are Strange, and then a remix of one of the album tracks by Gaz Kumbis of Supergrass. So that's still available digitally, but even just the standard version of Sea of Mirrors is an absolute masterpiece. And then you add Holy Joe's Coral Island Medicine Show. And this one bridges the gap from the last album they did. They did a double album in 2021 called Coral Island, you know, which was kind of this fictional seaside village and all the songs kind of told stories of its inhabitants Hmm. and much like the weekends dawn fm dawn fm was one of my favorite records from last year yeah it was the radio radio station station. you know narrated by jim carrey that ushers you from this life into the next like this is what you're going to listen to as you're crossing over and going into the light well holy joe's coral island medicine show is like a late night radio show for drifters and grifters, carnies and common, gamblers, ramblers, drunks and ghosts, you know? So essentially this grizzled old narrator kind of ushers you through all these songs. He sets up the songs. The whole thing I think is like 29 minutes or so, you know? So it's like kind of an EP's level worth of songs with some of these kind of DJ narrative buffers. And I think it's the dad of Ian and James Skelly, who are the you know singers in the band. I think it's their dad that does the narration, <laughs> but it's like having an old timey geezer kind of taking you through this. And the songs are beautiful as good as anything on the proper album. But you know, this is going to be a one and done deal. If you go on their website, the CD, the cassette and the vinyl pressings of this is the first pressing only. And then it's out of print and they're not putting it on streaming. This is rewarding the diehards. And so I highly recommend getting a copy while you can of Holy Joe's Coral Island Medicine Show and Sea of Mirrors. Like once again, I think I just love 20 years into their career. They're putting out some of their best stuff. From a marketing perspective, I like the idea that they're just doing one pressing of the album. It's not available on stream to stream. When it's sold out, it's sold out. So whoever got it, Congratulations. You got the uh, you got the golden ticket. I'm sure it'll end up on the internet at some level, but not in an official capacity. So if you yeah, if you want the physical copy, kids, it's only gonna be available for a short amount of time. Yeah, I think it's Call very now. smart. It rewards their fan base. This next band really has a throwback sound to we talked about our 
formative years in music where the 80s played a very prominent role in framing our our tastes. Nation of Language definitely has a kind of throwback sound to sort of the era that, uh, well, you and I came of age in. Early New Wave, you know, so essentially mm-hmm. the lead singer of Nation of Language, which is a New York-based band, heard Electricity by OMD on the radio in his dad's car, and it was like, oh my God, this is for me, because he was already in another band. He kind of formed Nation of Language, and so their third album, Strange Disciple, just came out. And if you really like the kind of the, the really minimalist early OMD stuff, you know, that has its heart on a sleeve. So it's kind of both sterile and electronic, but yet with really beautiful synth waves and emotional lyrics that plug at the heartstrings, you know, mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. a very majestic album. It's a great headset record. I listened to it on my headsets, walking th- under a starry night here in Seattle. And it was like the perfect soundtrack. I kind of call it Interpol for new romantics, you know, and he's also in another band with, you know, one of the guys from the Strokes. So he's got his hands on a lot of stuff, but it's a beautiful album. And I noticed as a being a fan of the band, following them on social media, you know, for this kind of minimalist headset sound, they do really well live. Their shows sell out routinely. So they're getting a really good fan base. I think they did well on the festival circuit as well. Nation of Language, Strange Disciple. It's like kind of a really good OMD sound post. This is their first post pandemic one because they really kind of did launch during the pandemic. You know, we have a new OMD record coming out later this fall. If, if you're like OMD and that kind of new wave sound, that's a really good time for you. Yeah. And again, we have this on a, on a playlist, Apple Music, it'll be on Spotify and YouTube Music as well. If you're of a certain age, you will certainly recognize Nation of Language in terms of its familiarity to music that you may have listened to over 30, maybe 40 years ago. And as we pivot to the, the term Nepo Baby comes to mind with the scions of very famous people, they have careers that are very similar to their parents, whether it's acting, singing, writing. And now we have somebody who is coming on the scene that has a very famous parent that is in the band Cheap Trick. And who is this person? Robin Taylor Zander, whose dad is Robin Zander, lead singer of Cheap Trick. And I have no problem with Nepo Babies and rock and roll. You know, when music is in your genes, you know, like why not leverage your natural talents and also your industry connections? And so I think like to me, the epitome of this is Elliot Sumner, who is Sting's child. And, you know, goes non-binary. I think they're they, them. Elliot Sumner has two of like the most incredible solo records out there. Really worth checking out. And then same thing with Elijah Hewson, who is Bono's son, is the lead singer of Inhaler, you know, Mm -hmm. which has two also really amazing records. And so Cheap Trick is a band that keeps it in the family. Dax Nielsen, you know, Rick's son has replaced Bunny Carlos on drums. Hmm. And Robin Taylor Zander has actually contributed rhythm guitar and backing vocals to the band on tour and also on like their epic most recent album in another world. When they said, oh, he's stepping into his own, he's going to put a solo record out. I'm like, okay, this sounds good. And then when the CD arrived, checked out the cover, like, yep, this is him. Pop it in. And I thought they had either sent me the wrong CD or... (laughs) They pressed the wrong, you know, the wrong tracks onto the CD because, you know, Robin Taylor Zander sings in a very feminine higher register, Yeah, you know, somewhere between George Harrison and Natalie Maines of the Chicks. And so I'm like, whoa, this is wild. And then I really loved it because, you know, really good harmonies, 
really good production and the songs really kind of clip, you know, so it's a long album, but you know, it has a really good momentum to it. And one of our favorites that we talked about a few pods ago, Michaela Davis, you know, who put out a really good solo record in August, she contributes backing vocals and harp. If you like Susanna Hoff's, her solo stuff from the Bangles, if you like the solo Beatles records from George Harrison, Lennon, and Paul McCartney, and also if you're a fan of Cheap Trick, you're going to really like this record. It's called The Distance by Robin Taylor Zander. Andy Taylor, coming back. We're doing the Taylors and twos. Yeah, from Robin Taylor Zander to Andy Taylor. Mm -hmm. This is really the miracle of an album. Because if you remember last year when the Duran Duran got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they had to read a letter revealing to everybody that Andy was dying of terminal cancer. And therefore, mm-hmm. therefore, he couldn't be with them at the ceremony to be inducted because he was inducted as part of being the original Fab Five. But since then, a lot has happened. Andy Taylor has undergone kind of like a really kind of cutting edge, almost like radiation treatment for his terminal cancer. And now he's claiming to be symptom-free. And man, does he sound healthy as hell on this new record called A Man's a Wolf to Man. (laughs) You know? And so you figure Taylor was around for the original height of Duran Duran. First three records. You know, then they went and split off. And then, you know, Andy and John Taylor did The Power Station with Robert Palmer, where the other guys went and did Arcadia. Then they reunited for, you know, the James Bond song and then the arena album. And then Andy Taylor split. Duran Duran kind of went off in a different direction. So back in the day in 87, um, Andy Taylor released a really, really solid solo record called Thunder. And he was also involved in several Power Station albums beyond their masterpiece self-titled debut you know, where he wrote and produced songs and records for Robert Palmer, which was Riptide, and also Rod Stewart's Out of Order, you know, the album that had Forever Young. Mm-hmm. And not only did those have a lot of input from Andy Taylor, but they also, all of those albums had input from Bernard Edwards and Tony Thompson from Power Station. So I kind of called those records the Power Station Multiverse. <laughs> and so he put out a solid solo record. Yeah, <laughs> Thunder. And then he did one more follow-up that had, you know, was mainly a covers record, but then he kind of just disappeared. You know, and the next I heard of him was when he came back into Duran Duran for the Astronaut record. And he was back in Duran Duran proper for, I think, almost five years before kind of falling out again. Because I think Andy Taylor always wanted to go rock and roll, mm-hmm. where Nick Rhodes always wants to go kind of more avant-garde and synthy. And so I think yeah. those two things clashed. And that's why Nick Rhodes, it's really Duran Duran has been his band. I am pleased to report that Andy is going to be on the new Duran Duran record this fall called Dance Macabre. And so, which is awesome. But then he's put out this record and man, Man's a Wolf to Man is a huge, huge sounding record. You know, he really does when he sings, he sounds like David Bowie, Mm -hmm. you know, and one of the songs near the end, Big Trigger, sounds like Ziggy era Bowie fronting low life era New Order. It's a lot of production. It actually sounds very much like in that big 80s, you know, when some bands like GTR did these really big records, you know, and so it has a big 80s sound, but I love the fact that he sounds amazing. This is really a guns a blazing record. So if you like Bowie, New Order and Duran Duran, man, you're going to have a lot to love in Man's a Wolf to Man. That title, Man's a Wolf to Man, I encountered that title Oh, geez, it must have been in the 80s when I was reading a book called 
The Origins of Totalitarianism by Hannah Ooh. Arendt. And in it, she uses the Latin phrase, homo homini lupus. But then if you go down and you look at the footnotes, it says, man's a wolf to man. I thought, oh, that's a powerful phrase. And so when I looked at the title, I'm like, what if he was reading Hannah Arendt? And he kind of came yeah. across that. I was like, that's an interesting title. Oh, man's a wolf to man. What does that mean? Because that's when I was listening to this record. I'm like, mm-hmm. what is he going with this? Well, for the context of the record, I can't say. I've only heard a couple of tracks, but in the context of that book, of course, it is about the way in which totalitarianism and sort of the Italian and and German fascism rise up and that humans at bottom will be horrible to one another. They will be wolf-like. They will be vicious with one another if given certain factors that come into play that proclivity towards dominating and power over others is too powerful of an influence given the right circumstances to to resist at times and okay. uh, that's that's where that that's where that phrase comes up so you could probably say in the context of a band yeah and the dynamics there that there's going to be a lot of backbiting at times and you're going to find even within the music industry that people who are in the C C suites and at the executive level they're not going to give the best deals that they can to the artist. They're going to find a way to be a wolf to other men and dominate them and give them lousy deals and things like that. So maybe this is sort of the culmination of maybe why he dropped out of the music industry for a little while, not for health reasons, but maybe he just got tired of just this culture yeah. and just said, yeah, I'm done with this for a while. And then slowly got lured back into it. Well, and now that you put it in that context, man's wolf to man really speaks to what's happening just with the cruelty of man towards other men, mm-hmm. you know, or humans towards other humans in all cultures. I mean, look what's happening in England with Brexit, you know, where right. it's very right. much an us versus them thing. And mm-hmm. then look here with the right and, you know, versus the libs and how it's we're brewing that civil war. And you're seeing it in countries all over the world. I mean, look at they put a fascist back in in Italy. I mean, look at what's happening with Libya, you know, with the infrastructure. They never took care of their infrastructure. And now right. that tens of thousands of people are dying. And yeah, they swept out to sea. It was just, yeah. oh my God. So yeah. it makes you think about, you know, so maybe that's what he's talking about. It kind of now makes sense. Now that I'm thinking back on the this title track of that social commentary. And look at how cruel we are to each other when we should be lifting each other up and making sure that nobody suffers, mm-hmm. not only other men, but then also all the other living creatures that we're reliant upon for the ecosystem. Got to love Andy Taylor for kind of really going big. And I do love yeah. the fact that, you know, because you think, okay, if this was recorded when he's, you know, really kind of facing his own mortality, this could have been a very laid back, morose album. But man, no, this album is for the living. Huge melodies. Like this is meant to be played live to a big room. Very excited to see not only him coming back with this solo record. And I really wish they would re-release some of his other stuff. I mean, Thunder is available on on a really nice bootleg with all the solo tracks and the B-sides from that era. You know, that you could still buy. But I like to see it a proper reissue of Thunder, his second record, as well as this other stuff. But yeah, after listening to this, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to pick up the Rod Stewart Out of Order record on CD, which I just did. You know, it'd be fun to kind of explore more of that Power Station era, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, really, really good record from Andy Taylor. Yeah, you talked about albums that are meant to be played live and loud or be performed. Songs that are meant to be performed live and loud. Talk about Demi Lovato revamped. That's some live and loud stuff. I mean, definitely on the loud side. And then she was also on the MTV 
Video Music Awards. But yeah, she's really yeah. kind of rocking out these days, huh? It's just a miracle that this woman is still alive. You mm. know, she has a really good documentary. I think it's still on YouTube. Kind of chronicles her descent into alcoholism and the overdose that almost killed her. And it's there's just a harrowing part of that documentary where she's basically dead. You know, she's overdosed and her yes. sycophants that are living in the house with her are afraid of the paparazzi that will be drawn if they call an ambulance. And so they sit there and argue amongst themselves about what should we do? We don't want to get in trouble by <laughs> alerting the paps that she's in trouble and they're letting her die. And so the fact that they finally made the right call, got her the help, but I was kind of worried, you know, so she put out the album Dancing with the Devil, you know, which is kind of her post overdose record. And it's an absolute masterpiece. I just absolutely love this record. And But she talks about being California sober at the time, meaning, okay, I'm off of alcohol, but I'm still doing marijuana. <laughs> and she's okay. since realized that's not the best move for her. And now she's completely clean. And so now that she's clean, she's really finding her energy, kind of like the way Taylor Swift has re-recorded and reclaimed her catalog as Taylor's version records. Revamped plays like Demi Lovato's greatest hits, Demi's version. And hmm. so what she's done is she's kind of pushed all of her classic Disney pop songs through a My Chemical Romance Snapchat filter. Uh, nice. Okay. You know. And she's made them full-blown rockers. And like, oh my God, these songs really all work as a high-energy rock song. You know, mm -hmm. so now she could kind of take the new stuff that she did on the Holy Fuck record, which came out last August. I didn't like that record as much as I like Dancing with the Devil, but now it all kind of fits in where now she's got a full set of rockers. She could take a band out on the tour and really do a really good high energy show. You know what? And she would actually be really great with My Chemical Romance. That would be a great double bill. I would go see that show. I just love the fact that she's really claiming herself. You know, she's really kind of empowering herself in her feminine identity because she, for a brief period, went with they, them pronouns, but she's mm -hmm. back to being a she now. And she really just has full agency in her look and her life and her career and where it's going. And just track for track revamped is just a lot of fun and really makes you appreciate Really what she's contributed to pop culture over the last 10 years, you know, she started off in a Disney movie, you know, mm -hmm. I think it was called Camp Rock with the Jonas Brothers. And a lot of her pop records were kind of targeted product, you know, it was okay, this is consumer product we're going to give the teenagers. And so now she's really kind of reclaiming these songs for her own, in her own vision, with her own power. And yeah, revamped is just a lot of fun. It seems like a lot of these people that come out of the Disneyverse or as child stars, they often, I mean, I guess it's because you're growing up in a time where you're asked to, or you, you experience things that children probably shouldn't experience, meaning that they're in this machine of show business. You have to act a certain way. You have to be this way. Yeah. Falling into some kind of substance dependency, whether it's alcohol or other drugs, you see this sort of bubble up. I mean, I don't see it with Olivia Rodrigo and she came out of the high school musical television show, right? She was on yeah. that for a while. But I also looked at the MTV Video Music Awards and Selena Gomez, who comes out of sort of a children's acting. You know, she was on Barney and she did, she was yeah. on Disney stuff. She herself is 
trying very hard to pivot away from what made her famous to what makes her career satisfying. So, of course, she's with Martin Short and Steve Martin in Only Murders yeah. in the Building, which she does a really good job on. I really enjoy that show. Her music now is doing a lot of crossover in, in terms of genres and styles. She's singing more in Spanish now than she did before. Yeah, I find her an artist and and same with the way in which she looks like she's fine with saying, Hey, this is who I am. And this is my body at this age. I'm not sure exactly how old yeah. she is now, but whatever age she is, she says, this is what I look like. And this is, I'm not yeah. going to try to change myself because if I try to do those sort of things, you can go down a pretty dark road of whether it's dependency or body issues. And it's just interesting to see so many of these artists who they have this sheen of Disney or children's yeah. programming. And then later this sort of really dark stuff starts coming out. Demi yeah. Lovato included. Well, I think like, we could all thank Miley Cyrus for showing the way of completely burning down your Disney image, but she's taken most of those fans with her on this journey. I really appreciate it. I don't like everything that she does, but mm -hmm. I really appreciate everything she does. And then there's some of her songs that I absolutely love. Selena Gomez is another example. And then there's, there's a bunch of other ones, you know, especially like looking at the girls that are emerging from the descendants, you know, so you got Dove Cameron and Sophia Carson. They're still trying to figure out their lanes, but they put out really good music and they've got gorgeous singing voices and they have definitely really mastered the art of social media and controlling their image. And so I have really good faith that those two are going to do well as, you know, really good as well. You mentioned the key term there, control over, right? Control over your yeah. me social media image and your image in general. Just to backtrack a bit, P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, however you want to call him, yeah. did a performance on the MTV Music Video Awards. I went and I listened to the album that he was shilling at the <laughs> mm -hmm. after he received his uh, his uh, what was it his Icon Award, and it's fine. But the one thing that resurfaces throughout the lyrics is being off your phone. He keeps saying things like "No phones, we're <laughs> off the grid. No phones, no phones." And again, I think this is going to be the currency that a lot of people who are coming up as celebrities are going to embrace my privacy, that my yeah. life is not an open diary that I have to post compulsively on, in, on Instagram or whatever, Snapchat or TikTok, that that stuff is going to be mine. I'm yeah. just going to wall it off. It's a bit like the coral. Who yeah. said this pressing of this physical copy is all you're going to get? There's not going to be one that's that we issue officially as a streamed version. So it's it's the idea that privacy is important, but also a record or a book, some kind of release is important in that the physical copy exists, and maybe it only exists for a short period of time. And those who got it got it. And those who didn't get it, well, you're not in the know. And there's something, yeah. I don't know, there's some kind of value to that to me. I, mean, I know I'm just kind of riffing on it, but, and I don't have my thoughts fully formed, but that's kind of yeah. where I'm going with it. And, and here's the thing, because I was trying to figure out how are we going to bridge from Demi Lovato to the who, and now I've got the bridge. I <laughs> okay. found the bridge. Right. Let's okay. go with me along the bridge. Yes. First, All right, Keith, here we go. I'm going to give props to P. Diddy or Diddy or Sean Combs for mm -hmm. one thing, because I can't stand him as a celebrity. And, you know, he definitely has questionable ties to the Biggie Tupac thing and all that. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to give him props. I read recently that he has given back to his artists 
that he owns the publishing rights to their songs, he's given it back to them. You really? Know, which okay. yeah, which you think about in the whole era that Taylor Swift has to re-record her entire catalog because she doesn't own her masters. I did think that was a really classy move from you know Sean Combs to do that for the artists that he gave back their publishing rights. But then the bridge, now here's how we're gonna get to the Hoover at the center of the bridge right now. So okay. Diddy mastered the art of remember you used to either do a cover song of someone else's hit song or then in the in the 90s you did sampling you know like okay we're going to sample the hook like de la soul was the kings of sampling diddy did the thing with the police record where he literally just put the record on and sang over it Mm -hmm. okay that's his new sampling and that's where they started i think the roots of the word interpolation where you're using so much of the original song that you're not covering it and you're not sampling it. So you actually have to give songwriting credit, but interpolations are becoming more and more popular, especially with the youth culture. You know, we talked about this last month or two months ago when we talked about the Barbie record, you Mm -hmm. know, where Charlie XCX just interpolated three different songs and stitched them together for her contribution to the Barbie soundtrack. To me, it's lazy but also I think that's the direction that we're going in because look at how the hedge funds have put hundreds of millions of dollars into buying catalogs of people like, you know, the who Springsteen, mm-hmm. Dylan and all that. They're right. going to make their money back by having young artists interpolate their songs, songs from these catalogs, because these songs already have proven formulas to be popular and hits. So therefore, you definitely know by interpolating them, you're going to have a hit. So expect your Demi Lovatos and your BB Rexes, who just did an interpolation of that blue Bada Bing song from the 90s. You're going to see a lot more of that. So it's definitely going to set up, you know, some really good revenue streams for bands like The Who to kind of keep their either their catalogs relevant and generating money for years to come. So I'll let you talk about more of the who one of their most iconic songs is one called Baba O'Reilly, which has that great synth that Pete Townsend created. That's very busy. For those of you who don't know it, just Google it. You'll hear it and you might recognize it. That is ripe for interpolation to have used that as a background. Although I have to admit BAD did use Baba O'Reilly on one of their songs. It was called rush. They use the Bob O'Reilly on that. But that was back in like in the 80s or maybe early 90s. I think I might be the first person to have interpolated Bob O'Reilly because most people know it as Teenage Wasteland. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, my last name was Creighton. And I would constantly sing to myself, Teenage Creighton, he's only Teenage Creighton, he's Keith Creighton. So I'm the first, I'm going to take it. There you go. You're the first to interpolate. <laughs> okay, continue. So I had to get that fine. in there. Yeah. It's fine. No problem. It's the who's who's next. The super deluxe edition. Probably everything that they had in the vault, they threw into the super deluxe edition. I've said this a couple of podcasts ago. Do I really need to buy this again? Because I've bought who's next. I don't know how many times. But after listening to it, I realized, no, maybe you should get it if you really like The Who. Get it for the Lifehouse demos. Now, Lifehouse was this concept piece that Pete Townsend was working on that basically talked about the internet. And he was writing about this in 1970. So he kind of, people use a shorthand to say, Pete Townsend created the internet in terms of his imagining what the, the future would be. But the song Bob O'Reilly started out as a demo for Lifehouse, and the title was Teenage Wasteland, which is a very different song. 
many of the same lyrics are in there, some of the same music, but it's a different orchestration and it has a different meaning to it. When I first heard the song as a teenager, I thought it was a drug reference. They're all wasted, right? Yeah, man, I'm totally wasted. But that's not what it's about. It's about the fact that that a society was set up in such a way that the youth were being wasted. Not that they were wasted on drugs, but that society was wasting them. So there was this whole teenage wasteland. It takes on a different meaning when you hear this demo version of it. But for my money is to get the 1971 San Francisco live recording of the who hearing that recording reminds me and should remind anyone who listens to this, why the who for a time was one of the tightest live bands, the players, they are all on the top of their game on this performance, even though the stage pattern in between the songs, they're totally casual about it. They come out of Won't Get Fooled Again, and it is just magnificent. And at the end, they're like, yeah, all right. Well, that was our rock song, and I guess we're going to pivot now to something else, are we? We're going to do something else? What are we doing? What are we doing? You know, it's like they're not realizing what they just did on stage. Of course, how could you? You're in the moment. But I'm sure once they listened back to that as they were putting this album together, like, my God, we were pretty good back then, huh? And the yeah. reason why I say that performance stands out is because they have another live performance from London of the same year. And you can hear some of the same songs, not as good in terms of the, the live performance. So yes, get it for the live stuff. And if you don't already own Who's Next, well, go ahead and get it and you'll have all those songs that you probably have heard a million times on the radio. Yeah. And the thing with when they raid the vault for the live stuff, what is your take on the sound quality? Does it sound good or does it sound yes. muddled like it's from a cassette? No, it sounds good. It, I had it on pretty loud in the car, so I was feeling it, feeling the uh, the fidelity, as it were. It wasn't. It didn't sound like a, a crappy cassette. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because it's really when you talk about your take on teenage wasteland, it reminds me of a song by the Stiff Little Fingers called "Wasted Life." Have you ever heard that? No, I have not. So it's an anti-draft song. And so I first came across this when Dropkick Murphys and Face to Face did a split EP where you do one of your own songs, you cover the other band's songs, and then you do a cover song. And Mm -hmm. so Face to Face did Wasted Life. The opening salvo is, I could be a soldier, go out there and fight to save this land. But he's like, I don't want to do that because he said, they want to waste my life. They want to waste my time. They want to waste my life and they've stolen it away. So that's almost like the perfect companion song for Baba O'Reilly, Teenage Wasteland by the Google. Yeah. Like I said, an album that you probably heard many times on the radio. At least most of the songs have been played on the radio for decades. So okay. no big surprises there. But the big surprise, of course, is the is the demos and and that live version or that live performance from 1971 in San Francisco. Well, we are so, swinging for the fences. So why don't yeah. we bring it home with the new <laughs> album by The Fences. The Fences by Fences. Yeah. yeah. It's called Bright Soil. Now, Mike from Earshot Media sent me this one a couple of days ago, and I was really taken by it one on the first listen. I like AAA sounding music, and that's a radio format that blends kind of rock and a little bit of adult contemporary sound. This has a AAA sounding vibe to it that to me had instant likability. Fences is singer-songwriter and guitarist Christopher Mansfield. He has a pretty impressive backup band or backing band. And this is from the press release. It says, for the LP as a whole, Mansfield assembles 
what he refers to as his, quote, dream band with lifelong friend Felix Pastorius, son of Jacko Pastorius. On bass, Jeremiah Green from Modest Mouse on drums, Wesley Schultz and Ryan Lewis from Macklemore and Lewis. Also, uh, they added vocals and production, respectively, and Mansfield's wife, Maxine, also appears. So I just started digging into this record, but right now I like the album opener, which is called Hell, and No One, that's the second track, and then further down in the track listing, there's one called Church Birds. Bright Soil by Fences, I highly recommend this one. Yeah, I'm really glad you sent this one over to me because, yeah, I love bands like Band of Horses and the Delta Spirit, mm-hmm. you know, those melodic rockers of, you know, the current age, the, the modern age, I would say. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I love the harmonies, the guitar lines, the way that was mixed. Once again, we've been talking about sound mix throughout the year as to which albums are getting it right and which ones don't. And this one sounds really, really good. So yeah, Fences, Bright Soil. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So once again, we're discovering new bands and I can't wait to see where this one goes. Me too. So as we wrap up this, we should probably preview what's coming down the pike. Maybe start with another boomer era band, the Rolling Stones. What's coming up with them? We're getting a first new Rolling Stones in more than, was it like 16 or 17 years? It's amazing. Remember at the beginning of the Stones and when an album cycle was like six months and you'd get a second album, you know, and then it was a Uh year, a year or two. And then it seemed like forever when Kate Bush went like four years between records, like that's my entire high school or college experience. (laughs) You know, now it's like, oh, in a blink, it's been that long, 17 years since a new Rolling Stones record. And this one is amazing because not only it has the late Charlie Watts on drums, but it also has Bill Wyman, former Rolling Stone. They've confirmed Paul McCartney's on it, but there's also rumors Ringo's on it as well. You know, so now you've got two Beatles on a Rolling Stones record and Lady Gaga, she's going to be on it too. And so it seems like they've really kind of found their groove again. And so I can't wait to really hear where this one goes. Hackney Diamonds, which is a reference to broken glass when someone does breaking and entering. That's coming out at the end of October, but here's everything else. Talk about a bunch of elephants that are coming coming through the room in the end of October. So we'll be listening to them in early November. Duran Duran, who we talked about earlier, and Dance Macare, you know, which is going to be a mixture of cover songs, kind of in a continuation of what they did with their Thank You record, where they just kind of cover some of the songs they love. But there is some original music that's going to be woven in with that. And Andy Taylor is going to be on it. So I'm very excited about that. Prince and the New Power Generation. This is going to be the first box set that Sony is doing because Warner Brothers has done the expanded box sets so far in the Prince Mm -hmm. catalog reissues. Now Sony, who owns the rights to everything that's not movie related, is going to put out the super deluxe edition of Diamonds and Pearls. You know, so I think you get three discs of bonus tracks plus a couple of discs of live music from that era. And so it'd be really fun to see when Prince is untethered from the revolution, which to me, Prince and the Revolution is the core of my Prince fandom. Right. It's going to be interesting to see what his gems were, his unreleased gems from that era to see if they're as creative and as magnificent as the ones from the Sign of the Times and the 1999 Super Deluxes were. I wouldn't be shocked if next year in 2024, we get the 40th anniversary of Purple Rain. So they already did a three disc expanded edition of Mm -hmm. Purple Rain soon after Prince died that Prince was working on before his death. 
But now that we're at the 40th, I wouldn't doubt that Warner Brothers does like a good seven or eight disc version. And especially when you read Dwayne Tudal's huge documented books, he has two books out that document all the studio sessions from that era. The Purple Rain one's going to be packed because there are so many unreleased songs from that era. It'll be interesting to see what the Diamonds and Pearls one is. So I've got a pre-order. We'll probably talk about that on a November podcast. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, OMD has a new record out that is in multiple formats. So kind of like not missing out like I did on the Coral, I ordered directly from OMD. They have a deluxe edition, which has their proper album, but it's also going to be, it's called Bauhaus Staircase. Then they have Mm -hmm. a whole album of bonus tracks and demos and stuff like that. So you think the final week in October, we've got the Stones, Duran Duran, Prince, and OMD, and then right after that, we get a new Dolly Parton record, which is her rock debut to kind of okay. honor her being into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr are among the all-star collaborators on this record. I'm wow. hesitant to buy it because I don't want to have any Kid Rock in my collection. Uh. you know. And I'm kind of <laughs> bummed that this was all done after the controversy that she's still allowing Kid Rock to be mainstreamed and kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, accepted. Because right. I think this is a very orchestrated PR move that the labels are doing to get Kid Rock into that company with Dolly Parton on this Rockstar record. So I'm hesitant to buy it. I'll definitely stream some of the tracks to see what mm-hmm. it's like. But, you know, but even right around the corner now, we've got a new Kylie Minogue record, Tension, that comes out in a couple of weeks. If you think that this year is over, it is not. There's so much coming down the pike. And one of the big surprises that I just found out about is a band called Trans Canada Highwaymen. The original Highwaymen, which was like Johnny Cash mm-hmm. and, you know, an all-star, I think it was Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, or I'm blanking on who was on that, but it was the original gods of country music. And right. then Amanda Shires, Brandy Carlisle, and Marin Morris did the High Women, which was their version of it. Now we've got Canada's callback. This ah. is Stephen Page of Bare Naked Ladies. Moberg of the Pursuit of Happiness, Chris Murphy from Sloan, and Craig Northey of The Odds. Remember those KTEL records of the 1970s and 80s? Yeah. This album, their debut album, is going to be called Explosive Hits Volume One. <laughs> They're marketing it like a KTEL yeah. record with oh, dated nice. imagery and graphics and all that kind of stuff. So it looks like a 1979 KTEL commercial. But this is hits that were big in Canada from the 60s and 70s and radio hits in Canada that they're covering. They're already touring this. And to me, this just sounds so exciting because I love all of Stephen Page's solo stuff way better than the regular Bare Naked Ladies because Bare Naked Ladies have a new album out this week called In Flight. And I listened to it on streaming and it sounded more like one of those CDs or DVDs you would get from going to a life coach seminar. You know, okay. and it's like, oh, God, they're just trying really? so hard to be up with people. And I just couldn't penetrate the saccharineness of it. And I love okay. the Bare Naked Ladies. I mean, yeah, I've got yeah. most of the records. I met them in a meet and greet. I actually have a note handwritten from the mom of Jim and Andy Cregan because they did their Brothers Cregan solo records back in the day. And I wrote a nice note when I put in my mail order for it because it was the 90s. And the mom mm-hmm. wrote me a note back when sending me the CDs <laughs> that I nice. showed the band because they were at Tower Records the week Stunt came out. And I showed them the letters and we all got a good laugh out of it. That's pretty you know, good. So I like the band, but sure. man, 
they need a little edge. And Stephen Page brings that edge, that little he bit of was, darkness yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. And so since they did reunite at the Canadian equivalent of the Grammys a couple years ago, but they've never really reunited for more recorded work and a tour. So, but man, check out Trans Canada Highwaymen. They're on YouTube. You can follow them on social media and Explosive Hits Volume 1 comes out also in late October. So we've got a lot that we're going to be talking about going into the home stretch of this year. I think we're going to have a challenge putting together our best of 2023 this year because there's so much to wait. Yeah. It's going to happen. I, I think we're going to have a pretty solid playlist of music there and, and albums to recommend. I'm starting to go doing a look back at this point and starting to do re-listens. Yeah. So I'm starting my my initial draft of my list. So well, I'll know, start mine too. Okay. Then that'll, that'll definitely be coming out towards the end of the year in December. That speaks to how great the music is coming out right now. Absolutely. Keith, thanks so much again for being on the podcast. Always a pleasure, my friend. Can't wait till next time. Thank you for having me. And you're welcome. And thank you, folks, for listening and being a dedicated listener to Planet LP. Tell them about how they can hear all these songs that we talked about. You can hear them on our playlist on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, and YouTube Music. So whatever music streaming platform you like, look for Planet LP. You'll find it there. Or look for my profile, Ted Asragadu, on Spotify. That's where you can find the playlist there. And I'll also link to it on our Facebook page, Instagram, and put it on our website as well. Just for all the all-access pass there. How's that? Sounds awesome. All right. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye.